Good afternoon. It is a true joy and blessing to be here today. Today, the resurrection of Christ is on a lot of people's minds throughout our country. And, And while we don't see anywhere in the pages of our New Testaments where the early church celebrated Easter or or kept any yearly commemoration of the empty grave, there's a sense in which every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We we do see uh, in the pages of our New Testaments that, that we come together on the first day of the week to remember Jesus' death, but we do so on what the Bible calls the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And the first day of the week, in fact, is the day on which Jesus rose from the grave. And so we really can't come together and remember the Lord's death without also being reminded of his victory over death. Uh, And so while we don't talk about the resurrection every Sunday, and we may not talk about the resurrection every uh, Easter Sunday, uh, I, I think it is helpful for us to, to take a time to, to talk about the resurrection today as it's what's on many people's mind uh, in our country and, and certainly should always be on our minds. Uh, and today we're not going to so much retell the story of the resurrection as to focus on its effect in our lives. One of my favorite passages about the resurrection is this passage that Luke just read for us in Hebrews chapter 2. And it doesn't even use the word resurrection. But that's really what we're talking about here. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Yes, through Jesus' death, he did pay the price for our sins, release us from the bondage of sin and death, but ultimately he conquered death. He rendered powerless him who had the power of death, which is most greatly demonstrated in his resurrection. But you notice there we're told that as Christians, we are free from the fear of death. Isn't that an amazing concept, that he has delivered us, uh, who all our lives were subject to lifelong slavery uh, through the fear of death. Are we free from the fear of death? You know, today in society, more than ever, we're conscious of the threat of death. Um, To date, over 20,000 people have died in our country from this current epidemic, And throughout the world, over 100,000 people have died from this pandemic in in just the last uh, month or so. And we can't step outside our homes without being reminded of the threat that surrounded us. Every day that we spend in isolation is a reminder of the threat of death. And, and some in situations like this and in big crises might be tempted to, to run out with their hands waving, say, we're all going to die. But you know what? That statement has never not been true. <laughs> we are all going to die. And that was true a month ago, three months ago, a year ago. We, we are all going to pass from this life in one way or another. And the current crisis that we're facing doesn't change that. And so we need to give thought to death and yet as Christians to the hope 
that we can have in the face of death. Because Jesus has had victory over the power of death, we are told that we have been set free from death's fear, from its oppressive power over us. But, but how does that work? How can I experience that freedom? How can Jesus take away my fear? Well, first of all, I want us to ask the question, how does death enslave us? It talks about us being subject to lifelong slavery because of the fear of death here. But I think what we see is the bondage of sin and the bondage of death are really closely tied together. Death is the power that sin exercises over us. Think about it this way. If somebody were to point a gun to your head, suddenly you would be their prisoner. Not because they put shackles around your hands or your feet, not because they locked you up in a room somewhere, but because they exercise the fear of death over you, right? Or or you might think if somebody strapped a bomb to your body, you you might be sitting out in the the middle of of a crowded area, you might be at a park bench somewhere, but you're suddenly imprisoned because they have the power of death over you. And and that, in a way, is the power that sin has over us, that it's holding over our heads, this power of of death, its consequence, its wages. Now, there are certainly many other aspects in which sin enslaves us. It enslaves us by its lusts and desires. Um, And Jesus certainly empowers us to break the chains of addiction and overcome temptation in our lives. But I think one of the most foundational ways in which Jesus frees us from the bondage of sin is by breaking the power of death that sin holds over our heads. Jesus can undo the shackles and break us out of jail, but if he doesn't unstrap that bomb from our chest, then we're a goner. Jesus has to break the power of death. And I think we see some similar ideas to this in Romans chapter 6, if you'd like to turn over there. Romans chapter 6, and starting in verse 6, here Paul writes about this this bondage of sin. But I want you to pay attention to the language of slavery and the language of dominion here in Romans chapter 6. Because it's going to talk about death as well. Starting in verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Through joining Jesus in his death, we along with him are freed from death's dominion and thus the slavery of sin. Do you you notice that language, the dominion of death there in verse 9? Well, I think that's, in essence, talking about the same power that holds sway over us through the bondage of sin. As long as death is hanging over our heads, we are in bondage. But once 
we have put that death behind us. Once we have died with Christ and our death has been buried with Jesus in baptism, then that power no longer hangs over us. And it doesn't matter at this point if Satan pulls the trigger because he doesn't have a hold on us anymore. It doesn't matter if he detonates the bomb. It's, it's not strapped to us anymore. The power of death no longer holds sway over our lives. But how exactly has Jesus disarmed the bomb? How exactly has Jesus taken away this power of death? How has he defeated death? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 that we read earlier says, Through death he destroyed the one who has the power of death. You notice Jesus didn't fix this problem from without. He fixed this problem from within. Jesus didn't just disarm the bomb. He strapped it to himself. Jesus didn't just disarm the gunman. He took the bullet himself. He took our place in that death. But Jesus didn't just suffer death in our place. He conquered our death. And that is the power of the resurrection. That's why we see the apostles sermon after sermon focusing on the resurrection. This is the power that has, has, has freed us from death. That Jesus didn't just suffer it, he conquered it. Uh, sometimes when I'm teaching evangelistic studies, I use this illustration and perhaps I've, I've used it here. But uh, imagine for a moment that you had two long lines of people leading up to two electric chairs. Um, and... Here, uh, at front of one of these lines, stands Jesus. And Jesus gets into that electric chair, and he overloads all the circuits, and he breaks death. Now everybody in Jesus' line goes free. That's what Jesus has done. He has broken the power of death. Another way to think about this uh, is that the phrase that we commonly use, um, talking about somebody going into the belly of the beast. Have you heard that before? Well, what what does that mean to go into the belly of the beast? Well, it it comes from an idea that we we see in many different stories where where some hero is swallowed by the beast and yet from inside. He takes out his sword and he cuts the the beast out from within and he emerges victorious. Brethren, that is a perfect picture of what Jesus has done for us. He, He was swallowed by death in a sense. But death couldn't keep him within its hold. From within the belly of the beast, he emerged victorious. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, in the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you see that? It was not possible for Jesus to be held by by the power of death. The death that we deserve was eternal separation from God. That's what we're talking about, spiritual death, separation from the Lord, the source of life. And yet it was impossible for Jesus to be held by death. By by the virtue of, of his holy life and the virtue of his deity, death could not hold him. He couldn't be separated from God. He was God. And so he broke the power of death. I, I love the phrase in Hebrews chapter 7. And in verse 16, when uh, the Hebrew writer is talking about Jesus' priesthood, 
and he compares him with uh, the priest of, of Aaron's lineage. But he says here in Hebrews 7, verse 16, uh, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Isn't that an amazing statement? Jesus is qualified to be our high priest because of the power of an indestructible life. Satan tried to destroy it, but he couldn't. And so Jesus lives eternally because he conquered death. Death itself can be destroyed. Jesus cannot. And when Jesus and death got into the ring together, only one of them was going to emerge victorious. And Jesus, when he burst forth from the grave, showed that he was the victor. And when Jesus left the empty tomb, death died that day. That's how Jesus has freed us from the fear of death. He himself has taken it on. He himself has defeated it on our behalf. But how exactly then does Jesus free us from this fear of death? What does that mean for you and me? Well, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience physical death. It doesn't mean our physical bodies won't decay and suffer as the time of our departure comes near. Uh, It certainly doesn't mean that we should throw off all health precautions in the current crisis and, you know, make ourselves susceptible or cause others to be susceptible because, well, we, we don't have to fear death. Well, no, we are going to die physically. We all, all are going to die. So how has Jesus freed us from the fear of death? Well, for the Christian, death means something entirely different than it means for those who are separated from the Lord. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And read with me starting in verse 54. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54. Here notice how Paul describes death for the Christian. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian, death does not mean the victory of the devil. Death has no victory over the Christian. For the Christian, death means the victory of Christ. It means us crossing our finish line, receiving our reward, going to be with our Lord, being one step closer to spending eternity at home with God in heaven. It doesn't mean death is not a painful experience often accompanied by suffering. And in that way, uh, death is, is a fearful thing. We, we, we know that that is going to be a very difficult experience that we're going to go through. And yet, you know, childbirth is a difficult experience as well. But we, we don't mourn over childbirth because of the, the hardship involved in that process because of the joy that it produces. And so for the Christian, yes, death is still going to be painful. It's still going to be hard. 
but there is a great joy associated with it. And certainly this doesn't mean that there's not a sense of great loss. Experience it by those left behind. Jesus himself, when Lazarus had passed, uh, seeing the, the, the hurt and the grief of his family, wept himself. Certainly it's legitimate that we work through the grief of personal loss when those that we love have, have gone on uh, from us, from this life. However, our grief is not for them. In fact, there has not been any better day in their entire existence than what our loved ones who have died in the Lord are experiencing now. And so any sorry that, sorrow that we feel, let, let's remember that that's only our sorrow, not theirs. But there's great rejoicing for them. When death ceases to be a weapon in the hands of Satan and becomes a tool in the hands of God, it doesn't mark our defeat. It marks our finest hour. It marks our victory. It marks our finish line. I love Paul's description of his attitude towards death in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 and following. Here in Philippians 1, verse 21 through 24, we read, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live on the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul says to die is gain. I I know that I I need to be here. I know that there's work that God still wants me to do. But selfishly, I want to go home to be with the Lord. Because that's far better. Brethren, is that our mindset towards death? Is that our attitude? It should be. Because Jesus has freed us from the fear of death. And so our time remaining, I want to ask the question, do I still fear? And if I do, why? Because sometimes we know all of what we just talked about intellectually, but that's not what we experience from day to day. When death is before us, for our loved ones or for us, when there's some threat of death, it's still a very fearful thing. Well, perhaps it will be helpful for us to consider three questions to make sure that we're viewing this properly. Because as we said, certainly the the difficulty of the process of death is a fearful thing. The, The loss of our loved ones is a difficult thing. But let's ask some other questions here. First of all, do I truly believe? Maybe I'm fearing death. Because my faith is not what it needs to be. Look look with me back in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. You remember after God releases his people from bondage in Egypt and he leads them out to Mount Sinai where they received law. He is then leading them up into the promised land. And they send in 12 spies. And they spy out the land and they see the land is a very good land. They bring back uh, some of the produce of that land showing how abundant it is. And yet we see the people begin to grumble because the people of the land of Canaan are, are very strong and mighty warriors. They have fortified cities. 
And they begin to grumble and rebel against the Lord when they're just on the verge of their promised land. Look with me in Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 5. It says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we are passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Why is it that the people of Israel were fearful here? Why is it that they were grumbling and complaining and and rebelling against the Lord? God had brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness on the verge of their promised land. They should be rejoicing and excited about what God had in store for them. But instead, they despised the Lord there in verse 11. They did not believe in the Lord and they feared the people. Is that us? When we near death, We are on the verge of our promised land. God is getting ready to to help us cross that river into this land flowing with milk and honey, much greater than the physical land of Canaan. And yet, are we fearful? Because we don't trust in the Lord. We don't trust that he will keep his promises. We don't trust that what is beyond death is actually better than what we have in the here and now. You know, this life, is all that we've ever known. As long as we can remember, we've dwelt inside these bodies and blood has been pumping through these veins and and our our lungs have, have filled with oxygen. Day in, day out, we've we've experienced this life. I think sometimes we're fearful because we don't we don't trust that what God has in store after this is is better than what we have in the here and now. Because this is what we're used to, and we start thinking that that leaving our bodies is like leaving ourselves behind. Well, no, God has something much better in store for us. Do we believe what he's told us? Do we believe that death is going to be swallowed up in victory, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us? Maybe I need to strengthen my faith in God's promises beyond the grave. Maybe that's why I, I fear death. Or perhaps I continue to be fearful about death because my treasure isn't where it needs to be. Is my treasure truly in heaven? Perhaps I'm reluctant to leave this life because I built my home and my treasure, my fortune here in this life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We talked earlier 
today in our Bible class about the rich young ruler, just briefly, in Matthew chapter 19. And you remember Jesus tells him there, sell all that you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And how does the rich young ruler respond? Well, it says he went away sorrowful. Wait a second, Jesus just promised him treasure in heaven. Why is he sorrowful? Because he was more attached to the treasure that he had in the here and now than the treasure that Jesus was promising him. Is that us? We're looking back to Egypt and we know what we had there and we're familiar with that and we wish that that we could just go back and experience that some more. Where what God has in store for us is something so much greater. Where are our hearts? Well, where our treasure is, is where our heart's going to be. And and that's not always just in the form of our bank accounts. You know, you you may say, well, I I don't have a treasure here in this life. You know, I, I, I don't have that much. Uh, compared to other people. Well, sometimes our treasure can even be legitimate pleasures of this life. Maybe our treasure is our family. Maybe our our treasure are our friends, our loved ones, our our hobbies, our our comforts of our earthly home. Am I willing to leave my family behind to go and be with the Lord? Well, Jesus said that if we're not willing to leave father and mother, then we're not worthy of him. And yet sometimes I don't want to leave this life, well, because all my family and my friends are here. We need to cultivate a deeper love for the Lord. Maybe we need to to cultivate a deeper desire for him and our relationship with God. If we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, there should be nothing that we desire more than going home to be with him. We need to love God more than we love life itself. Can we say that? We love the Lord, our creator, the source of all things good, more than we love life itself. If we don't, perhaps death will be a fearful thing for us. But thirdly, Maybe I'm fearful because I'm not prepared. Maybe I'm not able to say with Paul that to die is gain because I can't first say to live is Christ. The two go together. You can't have one without the other. If I'm not living with Christ in the here and now, I will not go to be with Christ in the hereafter. If I'm living without Christ from day to day, then I'm going to die without him as well. You want to look in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We'll read together in verse 17 and 18. In verse 17, John writes, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Who is the one who still fears in this passage? Well, the one who has not been perfected by the love of God. Who is the one who has confidence in the day of judgment? 
Well, in verse 17, the one who can say, as he is, so also are we in this world. I think that's another way of saying to live is Christ. If we, by God's grace, are who we need to be, if we are abiding in him, then we have nothing to fear. Uh, earlier in this epistle, in 1 John chapter 2, and verse 28, John writes a very similar thing. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If we're abiding in him, we can have confidence. We can have great joy and longing for Jesus to come again, for the day of our death, that we can cross that finish line and receive our reward. But if we're not abiding in his grace from day to day, if we're not abiding in a relationship with him, then we do have much to fear. Think about it this way. Uh, I, I don't know about your experiences as a child, but for, for me, the, the words uh, daddy's home uh, have a, a great significance to them, especially if dad went away on a, a gospel meeting uh, and after a, a week was able to come back. Daddy's home was a very, many times, a very joyful thing. But, but is the phrase, daddy's home, always a joyful thing? <laughs> well, not always for me. You know, sometimes I didn't behave the way that I needed to during the day, and daddy's home meant I'm going to get in trouble now uh, because there were some things that we needed to talk to daddy about. Well, what about us and our relationship with the Lord? When our Father comes to take us home to be with him, that should be a very joyful thing. That should be something that we long for. But maybe it's fearful for me because I know that I'm not abiding in his grace and in his love. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. If this is the case, if we know that we're not abiding in a relationship with the Lord, we know that we have willful sin in our life that we're continuing in, that we're not surrendering to the Lord, that we're not seeking to walk in the light as he is in the light, then we should fear death. In fact, we should fear it a whole lot more than anybody is fearing this virus right now. Because death means eternal separation from the Lord. But brethren, this is not the way it has to be. And this is not the way that God wants it to be. He wants us to look forward to the day that we get to go and be with him. And so if this is the case in your life, if you are fearful about death, what change do you need to make? Maybe you need to strengthen your faith that God will keep his promises, to strengthen your faith, not, not just walking by sight and what you've experienced, what you know in the here and now, but looking to faith. And what God has promised is so much greater after this. Maybe you need to cultivate a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Lord that you will truly long to go and be with him. Or maybe you need to repent today. Maybe you need to bring some sin, some willful sin in your life out into the light, that it might be exposed, that God might be able to help you put that behind you. Turn to him. Abide in him and his grace that you can have this hope. Jesus has released us from the fear of death. He's released us from the bondage of sin. 
But it's up to us whether we allow him to remove that burden for us. Maybe you need to commit your life to the Lord. Maybe you've never had your sins washed away in baptism. Maybe you've never put that death behind you in the watery grave of baptism. By God's grace, you can. And by the power of the resurrection, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. Brethren, we as Christians need not to fear death. And in the way that we act, the way that we talk, especially in a situation such as the one that we're experiencing now, needs to show a deep and abiding hope and faith that death is not something that, that causes the, the Christian to, to cower. We're, we're not the, the cowardly and unbelieving that, that Revelation 21 and verse 8 talks about. No, but by God's grace, we have hope and confidence that we can face death, whatever it may bring, because Jesus has been victorious over its power. If you need to respond in some way, I know that with the uh, online portal here, we, we don't have the, the same opportunity to interact. But all of us, by God's grace, have an opportunity to go to, go to him. We also have an opportunity uh, with this technology to reach out to one another. If you have some sin in your life, do what needs to be done to bring that sin out into the light. Do what needs to be done to turn your heart back to the Lord. And if there's anything that we can do to help you in that, that's why we're here.